I think for too long, we've conflated creativity with a paintbrush. And that's just not what the data shows. What the data shows is that the burnout that we're living through right now, Jessica, is not going to be solved by a walk around the block or even a drink with a friend. The burnout that we're facing right now is really only going to be solved by collectively the humanity being interested in their own lives. Welcome to the News Not Noise podcast. I'm Jessica Yellen. What excuse do you use to avoid doing the things that make you feel alive? There's no time. I've got too many obligations. I'll get to it when I've completed my to-do list. Best-selling author Eve Rodsky says, it's time to be willing to make yourself unavailable and indulge your creativity. She says the data shows it's vital to our mental health, and this is especially true of women who are culturally conditioned to put time for ourselves last. In her new book, Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World, Rodsky outlines steps to identify and reclaim your creative talents and interests and find space in your life to actually do them. She offers strategies to implement this practice no matter your income level, family, or work obligations. Rodsky already broke new ground with her first book, Fair Play, a guide to balancing the division of labor within a household. In a world where so many of us are tethered to our smartphones and awash in responsibilities, she insists that giving ourselves permission to be unavailable is crucial to our well-being. If you haven't heard of Eve Rodsky before today, she is a force of nature. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Eve, it is such a thrill to have you here. Congratulations on this book. Thank you so much, Jessica. You know, I consider you a spiritual friend now, and I watch your unicorn space, which is how you've evolved and share with the world. So I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. That's so sweet to say. I want people to understand right away, what is a unicorn space? Well, a unicorn space is space for active pursuits that make you come alive. And I think for too long, we've conflated creativity with a paintbrush. And that's just not what the data shows. What the data shows is that the burnout that we're living through right now, Jessica, is not going to be solved by a walk around the block or even a drink with a friend. The burnout that we're facing right now is really only going to be solved by collectively the humanity being interested in their own lives. Say a little more about that. It's about more than creativity. And why is it so relevant in our current moment? Well, I think we know that over 4 million people have left the workforce in all different areas and uh, socioeconomic brackets. We know that the American Psychological Association just came out with a study that sounds obvious, but that burnout is at an all-time high. And so I think in times of severe disruption, what we see is that creativity is often an outlet, an outlet that works to process the collective grief and trauma for what we've been going through as a society. Let's get there a little bit through your own journey. You wrote a best-selling book, Fair Play, which is about how couples can more equitably have relationships where they share in housework and taking care of the kids. How did you get to find your unicorn space from there? And how does that work connect to this book? Well, I think the most important thing that I work on and, you know, like anything, Jessica, I didn't start in my third grade uh, vision board. What do you want to be when you grow up? Did you have one? Well, I think Mrs. Hornstein at PS40 made us do a, what do you want to be when you grow up board? (laughs) Okay. It didn't have gender division of labor specialists on that board. But what happened to me in my own 
own life was understanding that I became a statistic that I, I didn't even know was happening, which is that women shoulder two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family. If you combine that with the time crisis that we've also had intensive parenting, greedy work as Professor Claudia Golden calls it, we were ripe even before the pandemic for a crisis of time, especially if you're a marginalized population, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're an essential worker. The idea is that up until this point as a society, here's our dirty little secret. Our dirty little secret is that literally this entire society has been built on a foundation of the unpaid labor of women and when paid the undervalued labor of our domestic workforce. There's been this societal narrative that if you want to improve your life, change things. You have to disconnect. You have to like escape to the wilderness, go on a journey to Bali, find yourself in another country. You argue you don't have to blow up your life to change things. Tell us a little bit about the other way. Well, I think, you know, changing your whole life, Jessica, is is actually a very privileged narrative that many of us can't ascribe to. Um, I remember I had one friend when I was interviewing people for my first book, Fair Play, about the gender division of labor. She said to me, well, you don't have to write a whole book about it, Eve. It's just three words, court-ordered custody. Sure, that's one way to to sort of handle the division of labor, but a lot of other people um, are not in that situation. Maybe they're single parents or they, they do want to stay within the construct of their relationship. So I think we we have to understand that these uh, momcations that some people uh, talk about or commodified wellness, the fact that we have to pay for our self-care, these are all ideas that I think have come out of the last 20 years that I find completely unproductive. The same way I think describing a unicorn space, an active pursuit that makes you come alive as a hobby. Because when in my 750 people that I interviewed for this book and for Fair Play combined, and now more anecdotally, when I asked, what do you associate? with a hobby, the number one word that came up was infrequent. What we're talking about today is adding daily flourishing. We now know that creativity in a recent study is associated with daily flourishing. And so to me, the idea that we would be daily flourishing is the opposite of what Adam Grant calls what's happening in society right now. Daily flourishing to me is the opposite of languishing. So let's get concrete. Will you give us some examples of what daily flourishing looks like? Well, I think the most important thing to ask is I like to call it the forward audit. Who's making your decisions? What is the most important thing that you do in a day? If you can answer at least once a week that the most important thing that you do that day is outside of your roles, then that's a win. This is how you bring it into your a daily practice or a weekly practice or a life practice, as opposed to, as you said, Jessica, blowing up your life. So what I mean by that is typically the things that we do that are most important in our day, according to my data, fall into the three P's of partnering and or parenting and or professionally professionalizing. I don't know how we would want to call it a parent partner and or professional. If you can say at least once a week that the thing you do that day, the most important thing you do that day is outside of your roles as a parent and or partner and or professional, then that's how we start to think about how we make our decisions, setting those intentions, because we actually cannot get there if we live in a state of pre-consciousness where we associate creativity with a nice to have something 
at the end of our to-do list. If we understand that it's linked to our mental and physical health, I do believe as a society, we'll start bringing it back in to our life and the narratives that we make decisions by. So can you give us a, for example, is playing tennis a thing you could prioritize that would fulfill the creativity need? Is it necessarily something that's sort of generative, like writing or painting or something you're creating, or can it be some activity you enjoy that disconnects you from your everyday? 100% could be tennis. We have axe throwers out there. I think what's really subversive in this society, Jessica, is that you can be more than one thing. You can be the top, most important uh, newscaster, um, and you can be uh, a ballerina. Uh, you can be a tennis player and a parent, or you could be an accountant and an axe thrower, as we said. I talked to a man from NPR in Texas. Hi, David, if you're out there, told me that he's taking up professional professional bull riding. So what I think I have uh, another man who told me he start he started to show his team uh, his ugly vegetable garden. He enters ugly vegetables in competitions. The only thing that that differentiates this from the two other things that I think we've been talking about a lot as a solution to burnout is that this is not self-care and this is not adult friendship. They come along with it. I, I honestly truly believe that uh, the, a unicorn space pursuit is the antidote, not just to burnout, but to loneliness. All the friendship research shows that if you say, I want to make friends, it's a lot harder than saying, I love axe throwing. You go to an axe throwing community and guess what? There's going to be people there that you start connecting with. And so if we want to start combating loneliness, if we want to start combating burnout, we have to realize that we are more than our roles. We are more than, as we said, the parents and the partners and the professionals out there. We can be more than one thing. What comes to mind first is how does a person identify their thing? I was a TA once in a class and more than one student came to me and said, how do I know what I'm interested in? <laughs> I was like, I can't answer that for you. <laughs> but how do you encourage people? Something like axe throwing is so outside most people, many people's experience. How do you encourage them to find the thing that feels right? Well, I think I love, I know that we're talking because a lot of the news right now is around new year, new you. I actually think the more important construct for time of disruption is new year, same you. Instead of the idea of you having to reinvent yourself, the idea is a reinvestment, a return. And I don't mean returning to something from your childhood. I find that a very limiting piece of advice because I had a traumatic childhood, Jessica. I don't actually want to return my childhood. Um, I was a parental child. Uh, the things I did for fun was helping my mother uh, stave off eviction by filling out uh, her, her checks, right? So I think limiting yourself to just what you used to be as a child is, is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the return to yourself is understanding that for so long, we have been valuing extrinsic milestones. Explain what that means. When are you going to get married? When are you going to have child one? When are you going to have child two? You need to live in that nice place. You need to go to that school decisions start being made for us by our communities and by our societies. And actually, as we grow more in income inequality in our country, what people are starting to see, sociologists are starting to see is that people have to invest more in their children. So often what's happening now is our unicorn space is becoming the perfection of our kids. And that's very, very, very unhealthy. For everyone involved. For everybody involved. I do not want your children to be the recipient of your unfulfilled dreams. And so that means we have to, again, return, return to our deeply held values. And instead of the word passion, what I would say to you, Jessica, the first thing I would say is let's retire the word hobby. Let's retire the word passion, vanity project, passion project, side hustle, and understand that a values-based curiosity is often where the people in my data started to find their unicorn. 
porn space. Let me just tell folks who aren't already familiar with Eve's work that one of the things that's exceptional about Eve is she's not just creative about reframing these ideas that are kind of make sense, seem logical, but she's also enormously effective at implementation. And you use data and you use your business training to figure out what's the best way to advise people to actually act on this. So let's say I have decided that I want to take uh, dancing. I want to go to dancing, but I'm busy and I don't dance and I don't know people who go to dance class. How do I begin and how do I make this a priority in my day? Well, I think it's so beautiful. I'll talk about another woman who is an essential worker. So you talk about somebody who has no time. The value that she was reflecting back to me, she was an early reader, was beauty. What she said was that in an industrial complex like a hospital, Jessica, there's not a lot of beauty. And so what she started to do was she went to a big box store. She found a camera on clearance, just started getting curious about how do you use a lens? How do you develop film? How do you, you know, with digital photography and the Nikon, is it different than if you take a picture on your phone, understanding how to upload these things, getting curious. And then now what she does is she takes a picture of nature on her way to the hospital. She takes one picture of a shrub or anything around the hospital at lunch and one picture before she goes home. And she's been sharing this with her team. And now she showed me she has an Instagram that she's sharing her nature photography with. But she's this woman is not a photographer. She's an ER nurse who just felt that living in the industrial fluorescent lights of a hospital felt like she wanted the opposite. There's a woman, I love you, Renee, out there at 56 as a stay-at-home mom. She said, I've been an object at rest for so long. I have a need for speed. She started looking up rally car racing. Now at 67, she's the top, one of the top rally car racers in the world. Wait, as a racer, she doesn't just observe, no, she races. She races. She's in Antarctica right now. You should have her on for a story. She just finished her Antarctica, her last continent. So it's never too late. It is never too late. It, we have to grieve sometimes for our, for our lost dreams, for how society has framed our decisions for us. But it doesn't mean we can't reclaim it. I want to talk to you about what you call toxic time messages, things that people use as excuses to not do the thing. You say in the book, one excuse is I have less time than ever. I cannot make more time. Time for what I need to do takes precedence over what I want to do. So how do you reframe these excuses and help sort of get beyond that kind of thinking? Well, I think the first thing to recognize is that this is by design. Society, especially, as I said earlier, for women, has tried to keep us small. Uh, it's tried to keep us in these roles of unpaid labor. It's tried to keep us in the roles, Jessica, of spending three hours in a hair salon, getting our grays taken out. It's, it's, it's told us we have to keep our bodies really small. So how can you ideate, think, and tinker when you're starving? So true. I say this all the time. And so, yeah, right? It's just, and, and even, you know... Pinterest perfect parenting. I had a friend who told me that she spent two hours looking for green snow boots for her son. And then she said, you know what? I was doing it while I was listening to Unicorn Space. And I realized that maybe I shouldn't be complicit in my own oppression anymore. This is sort of what society has wanted me to do to spend my time in service of my in my role as a parent. And how subversive is it if I actually start to invest that currency, which we typically have been taught to give away time and actually spend that currency at ourselves. So I know some people will listen to this and nod. Yes, 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 yes. And then some people will hear it and say, but you don't know my life. Like I wake up at 5 a.m. I have to deal with the house and the kids and I have to drive carpool. Then I go to work and my boss is demanding all day. And then the thing that I have to do immediately after in the pickup and that it's nonstop and I don't have a minute to myself. I'm always busy and I can't be unavailable the way a unicorn space would require. What do you say to that? I know. 
a lot of those women, they're in my data. They come to me every single day. And I think what people are realizing now, I'll, I'll talk to you about one of those women, Okay, Kat Medina. I see you out there and I only use last names if people have given me permissions. I promise you uh, for fair play, I didn't use last names because nobody wanted to talk about their gender division of labor uh, with their last names. But Kat Medina, she's a woman I met along this unicorn space journey who full-time job at Sam's Club. Her husband's an auto mechanic. She's raising a toddler, literally no time. But one night she was reading to her son. Her husband from the other room said, I thought that was an audio book. And she said, nope, just me. And he said, well, I think you should narrate audiobooks." And she's like, what are you talking about? Serendipitously, Jessica, she finds a that her store, Sam's Club, had microphones on clearance. She spends 15 minutes reading Princesses Behaving Badly. She uploads it on a website because she gets curious. And then she gets her first gig as an audio narrator. And yes, she does it after her kid goes to sleep. But she says instead of binge watching Netflix, what she now does three times a week is she reads exotic and erotic stories for authors. And she's so much so that she tattooed on her arm, reading books is like breathing air. And so I said to her, well, what was your life like before you started to narrate audiobooks? And she said, well, I guess the opposite of breathing air. So I, I don't know what to say, except for to say that this is not optional. Being interested in your own life is not optional. And so it's time that we say that we have to reclaim it. It's a cultural movement. I'm fighting, Jessica, the good fight. I just established the Fair Play Policy Institute to say we need paid leave. We need universal childcare. We need a social safety net to make it easier to claim and take up space. But in the meantime, while we're breathing this polluted air, we still have to breathe, as Kat Medina found out. There's so much there. One thing that comes to mind when you're telling her story is that she didn't know this would work out and she didn't know that it would be her thing. She used this phrase, she got curious and she just tried. And one of the best pieces of advice I got when I was very young and trying to decide what to do is someone said, no amount of research and informational interviews will show you what you want to be. Just pick a thing that you think you might like, try it. And if you don't like it, you can change. Well, I think that that is what the entire second and half of Find Your Unicorn Space is about, Jessica. It's that creativity framework for people like you. You know, I interviewed people all over 17 countries and all over the socioeconomic spectrum and, and mirroring the U.S. census that found a creative life that was feeling active pursuits. And what was universal in those people and those people were three things. As we said earlier, values-based curiosity paired with sharing it with the world. That's why it's not a spin class. You have to pair it with sharing with the world and then you have to complete something. So we can't, as my friend Amanda calls it, be a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. She says every time she sees GoDaddy every year, renews all these domain names. She said, oh, I'm just a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. The completion part, Jessica, actually for women who've been taught they can do anything in the world is probably the most triggering. Because so many women will say to me, well, I would start a podcast, but I'm not going to get any downloads. And what if people don't rate it five stars and I'm not going to win any Webby awards? All of a sudden, as women, we feel like we have to conflate completion with excellence. Isn't it okay to be loud and wrong sometimes? I just think the more we practice being loud and wrong, the the better the world will be. Absolutely. You got to try it. Just try. You just have to try. Somebody said to me once they were trying to do videos online and they called me up and they said, every time I try to do the video, I want to die inside. I just am so mortified. And it's so awful sounding in my head. How did you do the first one? And how did you start? And I said, well, I felt that way. And then I did the first one and I posted it and I didn't die. So then I did another. 
that's all. Like you just got to actually execute and and not expect it to hit home. Like just see what becomes of it. So you touched on this. Would you just explain again these three C's that you think are so vital? By the way, I love I didn't die because I think that actually is a really good bar for us to, to talk about for completion. If you get up on that surfboard and you fall, that's a completion. You just, you didn't die. You didn't die. Yeah. So I, I love it so much. I think what's been most interesting for me because the people understand that curiosity, but what, what sometimes trips people up, Jessica, is this understanding that what I mean is a values-based curiosity. So one of my friends said to me, I'm curious about scrolling my friend's Venmo transactions. <laughs> P.S. We'll never understand why Venmo is public. But that's what is that? Um, it's this bizarre talk about late stage capitalism combined with voyeurism. I don't know what that is. But yeah, so I said not that type of curiosity. That would be more voyeurism. But I think what we're we're seeing is that when you have a values-based curiosity, what I mean by that is saying, you know, I care about justice, Jessica, and community. Those are values that matter to me now and will matter to me in the near future. And so I could do many different things with that. I've chosen to, to focus on gender justice, but there's lots of ways to take those, those values. And again, when you combine that with the sharing, that's when it gets exciting because you hit the sweet spot because a lot of us have been living, uh, if I can nerd out with you for a second, with happiness, but not meaning in the data that's called hedonistic well-being. That's the binge watching the TV shows. That's the doom scrolling. That's the enormous amount of time we spend on social media. And then a lot of us are spending time in meaning and not happiness, AKA caregiving. I will tell you that the data shows people would rather have a root canal than hang out with their toddler. And by people and studies, I mean me, along with the science, even though I love you, Anna, I would rather be in the dentist chair sleeping than hang out with you all day. It's just, it is what it is. But I think, you know, when you think about return the return to, to yourself, it's this intersection between happiness and meaning. We have happiness without meaning or meaning without happiness. These experiences, the cat Medina, who says, I tattooed breathing air, reading books is like breathing air after her first book, Jessica. And her mom said, well, why don't you hold your horses and actually see if you're going to really be an audiobook narrator. And she said, you know what? That's an experience that can never be taken away from me. That first video you did, if that was all you did and you didn't become the Jessica of today, I would have said that was a unicorn space. That video is out there. It's you sharing yourself with the world. And so I think it's that. It's the fact that we have to recognize that it's going to rain on us. There's no sun coming out. It's going to rain. Do you want to drown in that rain or do you want experiences that can be your umbrellas? Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Would you explain again why this is vital? To some people, it might sound like an indulgence or something you get to add in if you can find the way or have the means. But why is this crucial? Well, I think what's happening now is we're realizing that our mental and physical health are really at an all-time low. As I said earlier, the American Psychological Association said that we are at peak burnout. And so when you think about really what the antidote to burnout is, as we said earlier, when you're interested in your own life, what that does for you is 
it allows you to make decisions from a place that when things are hard, you have a shield. So what I mean by that is one morning I was writing. That is one of my unicorn spaces, obviously. And I wrote, it was, I was actually ironically writing the chapter about Cat Medina. Um, and it was a crappy first draft, as one would do. But it was a completion for the day. It was my thousand words, my completion. And then that night, Jessica, Anna, my five-year-old, takes her like LOL doll or whatever and to swing it around and literally busts me in the eye. I have this giant black eye. And I remember thinking to myself, thank God I wrote this morning. So why I say that is because I think what's been happening in the past 10 years is we've had this positive psychology movement that actually bizarrely has been co-opted by the right wing in very strange ways by saying to us, well, we don't need a social safety net because we found that people's baseline happiness doesn't change. Very weird ways positive psychology has sort of been co-opted. So I want to sort of pull happiness back and say what the findings are showing us is that how to be happy is a, is a bad question. Saying I choose to be happy, I want to be happy is not the right question. Because when you search for active happiness, it actually makes you more sad. So if you actually care about being happy, that's something you want in your life. Instead, choose the experience and let the feeling follow. That is what the real data shows. And that's something, you know, I interviewed Dr. Sam Boardman and she writes about that in Everyday Vitality, that it's connection with others and experiences that lead to vitality, which is more lasting than happiness. I'm curious, the other day I ended up going to, I was in New York and I went to City Meals on Wheels with a bunch of friends and spent an afternoon packing shelf-stable meals for people who can't leave their homes. And I did it because a bunch of my friends wanted to. It was the most relaxing thing because we were all talking and we were doing something that wasn't about ourselves, but it was enough of an engaging activity that you couldn't obsess over all the things you're worried about. I just was in the best mood after that. Could that be considered a unicorn space or not because it's not creative? A hundred percent it is. Okay. We actually know, and I shout out to Dr. Famita Handy out of the University of Pennsylvania, who shows that volunteering and civic engagement, like what you're talking about, being involved in your community actually makes you more attractive. So if you so you can just put put that plastic surgery aside, you don't need to go to the gym, people who give back are physically more attractive. And I think it's what you're saying. It's this serenity. It's this connection with others. Um, what I will say, though, is that as women, we, because we are the unpaid labor of, of our society, often we rely on women's unpaid labor. So women are sort of shamed into the PTA. They're sort of shamed into these community uh, roles. So I'll say that if you were shamed into it, if you felt like it was an obligation, then it's not it wouldn't be a unicorn space. But if you come to it organically and you get there and you feel that feeling that you felt 100%, that is absolutely unicorn space because it has a curiosity, a connection and a completion, which is that you gave out, you you made those, those meals. So yes, yes, yes. I want to ask about being paid because- on the one hand, women do get conscripted into unpaid labor all the time. On the other, as a society, we expect things of value are monetized, right? And so our time is only being used effectively or at the highest value if it's we're making money off of it. Why do you think that's destructive? And why does unicorn space somehow subvert that? Again, this goes back to uh, sort of 
what's happening in feminism. I think what we're realizing is that because of income inequality, it's really hard to exist on a one uh, household paycheck. And so we need women's economic participation, but we also need them to do all of the unpaid labor in society. And we also sort of don't really like that you work outside the home. And so many women are sort of forced into these side hustles or MLM schemes, right? We sort of see this very bizarre relationship between women and money. Yes, go for it. And then the other thing is, uh, God forbid you're the breadwinner, then you actually do more unpaid labor to compensate for your guilt and shame of making more money than your heterosis gender partner. Women and, and money have a very complicated relationship, Jessica. So what I would say first is that this is not about money. And actually, ironically, you think that there's a lot of privilege in this conversation, which there is. I'm a privileged person. But what I did to, to understand what was happening in other communities was to recognize that in my research, people who identified it in the 9.9% of the top of, of the income brackets actually were telling me they were having a harder time identifying a unicorn space. And I think what happens is as our milestones get bigger, oh, I can get that bigger house. I could have the next kid. I can go for that promotion. I think we shrink. We shrink um, to fit those milestones, Jessica. Whereas a lot of other communities said to me, look, we've never had financial capital. Uh, we don't have access to financial capital. So we realize how important creative capital is. It's a very interesting discussion to think about other types of capital in the society. What other currencies can you can we trade in besides financial currency? We should trade in time currency. We should be thinking about creative currency. That's why I really want unpaid labor in the US GDP. I'm calling for that. I'm working on it. 2030, that's my goal, to have US unpaid labor in the US GDP by 2030. Give us just a minute on what that means. You know, if you like Peter Drucker or if you've ever, uh, you know, been any manager that's qu quoted him, uh, his most famous quote is, you can't manage what you can't measure. And so um, while there's a lot of economists calling for new measures of productivity that recognize that our uh, financial capital is very limiting as a measure of productivity, I still think that GDP is our most used measure. So until we find that new measurement, the most productive thing that we do in society is create the next generation of humanity. And that takes a lot of time. Breastfeeding alone is 1800 hours a year. And those amount of hours need to be quantified. And it's actually not hard, Jessica. We have time journal data, so we can do this. It's just a question of will. And if they actually want to ascribe a value, a monetary value to that kind of women's labor. That is a whole conversation I'd love to have with you. Let's do that next time. Next time. Next time. Let, let's do this because Italy tried it. And I have a lot of interesting data about what's happened when people have started to think about unpaid labor as part of our, our productivity measures. What are some of the small steps people can implement to develop their unicorn space and bring it into their life, sort of claim it? You know, I have two chapters in this book devoted to communication, which is sort of strange in a book about creativity. But the first is how we talk to ourselves. And the next one is how you talk to people around you to communicate that. But I'd say the first small step is understanding what a true boundary is. A true boundary is not just saying you have a walk around the block. And I'll say for someone like you, you know, say that when you have a job that could be a unicorn space, what often happens is that sometimes you forget adult friendships or self-care, right? That there's some other, there's other data that shows when your unicorn space actually does become your job. There's other things in the happiness trio of adult friendship, self-care and unicorn space that sort of have to be nourished. So what I will say is that the first small step is understanding that there's three hurdles that people said to me over and over again for why they don't claim their unicorn space. One, they honestly believe they don't deserve a permission to be unavailable from their roles. 
Two, even if they say, okay, I, I got it. I got that permission to be unavailable for my roles. Oh, guilt and shame. Guilt and shame came in. You know, I, I had an hour to play piano Eve, but I decided I, I might as well pick up my child from daycare early. Three is how we communicate those boundaries to others, whether it's our boss, our roommate, our parents, our kids. So when you think about the first small step, I would ask you to say, do you believe, do you feel that you believe that you have a permission to be unavailable from your roles. It all starts from there. When you start to set that boundary, it's much easier to then find that uninterrupted space, attention, to start thinking about the things that would make you curious. Do you have a theory about this? Often we know the thing that's going to feel fulfilling in a moment, like the person who could do their unicorn space, but goes to pick up their child, but you do the habit instead. Like what is that self-sabotage and how do you interrupt it? Well, I think that's such a beautiful thing to call it a habit because I think we're now seeing that, right? There's a lot of books on the bestseller list about habits and about half our day is sort of these pre-structured habits. You know, we think we're taking agency of our own life, but we keep doing the same thing. It's sort of the Albert Einstein quote, right? The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. And I'm not saying anybody here is stupid. Or insane. Yeah. Yes. Right. But what I'm saying is that back to what we said earlier, what's interesting about habit formation is a lot of the research around it shows that when you pair something new with something you're already doing, it's actually a way to develop a new habit. So that's what I loved about that nurse. When she was pairing her morning commute and her lunch break and her break home with the camera, just saying, I'll take one picture a day, it becomes easier to integrate into your everyday life. So I would say the best thing you could do is think about a habit you have. Is there something you already do? Like say, walk your dog. Can you bring a camera with you? Can you do one eight count? Learn just one eight count of a choreographed dance on your walk. Can you spend the extra five minutes to listen to spoken word poetry if you decide you may want to be a poet? I know that I'm really interested in a master class on writing murder mysteries, Jessica. I, I mean, I'm, I love thrillers. That's my self-care. I really want to set an intention one day to write a murder mystery where it's not just a, another woman dead. Right. Oh, I love it. Every, every thriller is just another woman dead. I love that you wrote fiction. It makes me love you even more. I love Savage News. I want to do that too. I often like to listen to podcasts as I'm commuting. I said to myself, I may not be able to see the masterclass, but I decided to download a masterclass that I can just listen to in my car. So your unicorn spaces, are you right? And when you're not writing, you sort of ideate some of the other things you hope to take on? Yeah. Well, for me, it's it was the gender division of labor. And then as we said earlier, it sort of became more and more of my job. Then it also, you get the emotional labor of wanting really a better world for people and that can feel heavy. So the lightness is what I decided to become curious about. Could I still do the in loving color routines from the 90s hip hop that I used to be able to do? Are you doing them? I just started to download my some of my favorite TikTok influencers and start learning their dances. Oh my God. I'm so there with you. I do. I am there with you. JLo on In Living Color was the bomb. I, I will never be able to turn like that again. And that gets back to the completion. So do I give up and say, you know what? In my twenties, I, I auditioned for the Nick City Dancers. Wait. And now I can't, I can't even turn. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Do you have video? Um, It's so sad. Why is everything in our age 
done before we had I know. anything that captured it. My cousin actually got to the second round. Shout out to you, Jessica. Wow. I got cut because I, I, I've never been able to turn well, but they actually gave me good feedback. I was, I was good at the choreography. I just, I had, I have a trouble turning. Do you do it in a closed room with no one watching or you let your family see what you're up to? Well, you have to, because that's the whole point of unicorn space. You have to share it with the world. So for my dance, you know, eventually I'll probably upload some videos to some <laughs> platform, but for now, actually, um, what I did was it was through a class. There are online dance classes. One of them was my friend's class called Dance for the Revolution. Nice. Uh, she would have these clothing optional dance parties. <laughs> so I did, go, I, I went with clothes. Wait, are they fully nude? Uh, yeah, some people were. Wow. So it was, but that was my first return to say, you know what? I love her. I'm so sick of all these systems that are in place that, you know, hold us back. And so there was some beauty in the return to something that I loved. So it depends on what you want to do, what you can get out of what you want to do now. That's why I don't love the word passion because you know what? Last year, I, did, I wasn't passionate about writing a murder mystery, but maybe that's what I want to do this year. Creativity is iterative. You have no idea where it's going to take you. And that's the beauty of the active pursuit. Even this conversation feels freeing. It's like, it's inspiring. So I'm curious if you have a thesis on how this goes beyond the individual and we make this part of a value in our society and in the world. It's funny you say that because I actually think that when you return to your deeply held values and your connections, and I'm not being Pollyannish, but I will say that we're at a pretty disconnected point in our own echo chambers. I'm telling you, I have like a spiritual friend, Jessica. I'm like best friends with David from San Antonio, Texas, who's a new bull rider. I fell in love with David from having him share his unicorn space with me. Miss Rodsky, what you're saying is so important and I'm bull riding. And, and would I ever be friends with David? <laughs> Probably not. But I think what happens when you're really vulnerable in these ways, not the radical candor of not understanding radical candor, which means like, you know, not having good boundaries with your teams and oversharing. That's not what I'm talking about. When you bring true vulnerability by saying, you know what? I can't come to our meeting right now because I'm burning a pie. I tried to make a gluten-free pie and it's burning in my oven. I'll be right back. Or the woman who told me her, she now loves her boss because she realizes the vintage sewing machine behind her in her Zooms is, is making dolls clothes for her grandkids because the American girl doll clothes are too expensive. Another woman told me about her love of her neighbor and his ugly vegetable garden. <laughs> uh, he brings over misshapen gourds and she's like, it's a little, it's a little strange, but she, but she loves him and his partner because they have this, they enter ugly vegetable competitions. Amazing. By the way, I had no idea that was a thing, but apparently if you hashtag ugly vegetables, people are into, into ugly vegetables. So when you actually share some of this, like knowing that you also had an affinity with JLo and nineties dance, it just makes me like you more, you know, and not you as Jessica, you, the universal you that it, it actually is a way back to, to our humanity. I, I really truly believe that. And of course it's not going to solve, solve all of our social ills, but I will say that getting out of an echo chamber means showing up at the pie fair and entering your pie and just introducing yourself to the people who are there, who also entered their pies with you. It's such a nice analogy or symbolically, it's such a nice statement about finding who we are inside and letting more of ourselves out and valuing that in the world. Eve, I think you are so exceptional. You frame these ideas in a way that we can all get and implement in our lives. And it really, it changes the game. So thank you for your work. Thank you for this book. It's called Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. I also would love to have you back and talk a little bit about Fair Play because 
It's not your topic today, but it's always relevant. Can we do that? Absolutely. Women are now at 153% increase in unpaid labor since the pandemic began. So yes, <laughs> the answer is a resounding yes. And you have a new podcast. What's that called? It's called Time Out. And it explores, Jessica, the initial question that we started to ask, which is why is it that as a society, women are taught to give away one of their most valuable currencies, time for free to others? How did it get that way? And what we can what we can do about it? And what I love about it is it's with my friend, my new spiritual friend, Dr. Aditi Nirokar, who's a, a holistic doctor out of Harvard, and she studies stress and resilience. So a lot of these concepts are also science facts, and she brings that science to the podcast. That's awesome. And I follow her. Her on Instagram. So people need to follow you, follow the podcast and buy this book because it will make a difference in your life when you implement it. Eve, thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks for listening today. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe or follow this podcast on your favorite podcast app. And you can follow me at Jessica Yellen on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at News Not Noise on YouTube and TikTok. You can subscribe to the News Not Noise letter at newsnotnoise.bulletin.com. And you can support this work on patreon.com slash newsnotnoise so I can keep giving you information, not a panic attack. 